0: Is everybody in? Is
1: everybody in? The show is about to begin. Welcome to the podcast, conscience that made us. Interviews and stories, tales from the bus. We love taking you back to when it all went down. The greatest live shows and the cheering crowd sound. It's concerts, concerts that made us. Concerts that made us. Dot
2: What's up? This is Kevin from Speed Freak, and you are listening to Concerts That Made Us.
0: Very welcome to Concerts That Made Us.
2: Yeah, thank you for having me.
0: It's great to have you now. I'm looking forward to diving into your music for the next bit. We opened the show with Fast Lane Living, the title track of the last album you guys released. What a song. I mean, it kind of makes me want to hop onto a motorbike and like cruise down the highway going like 100 miles an hour. It's like good old fashioned <laughs> rock and roll, you know?
2: that is exactly what we're going for. That's, uh, (laughs) that is our music to a T that's, that's what it's all about.
0: (laughs) I thought so. So what's the story behind the album then? Where did the inspiration come from?
2: So we, uh, you know, we, we live here in Chicago, the band, the four of us, and we, for a couple of years, we rented a house together. And we just lived and worked and rehearsed in this house. Uh, and we did a lot of partying, as you can imagine. <laughs> uh, and so that was kind of the mindset when we were, you know, when we wrote Fast Lane Living. That's that's really what it was all about. We, uh, we were, you know, in our 20s, you're young, partying hard, having a good time, living hard. So that's kind of where the inspiration for the record came from.
0: Right, right. And what does it look like when you guys have to make new music? What's the process look like?
2: So we... We're pretty good about rehearsing regularly um, and so you know the four of us get in a room together and we'll start jamming uh, and just kind of it's it's a very collaborative process you know every once in a while I'll come up with a riff and bring it to the table or somebody else to come up with a you know a riff or a, a lyrics or something but for the most part it's pretty collaborative um, we don't ever really sit down and think like I'm going to write a song about this you know, usually it just it, it's very organic. It just kind of happens.
0: Yeah, yeah. And as well, I have to congratulate you on on, on the awesome award winning video for Doomsday Vices. It's one hell of a video. And, you know, even without the music, it's entertaining. It won the award for best metal music video at the Audio Shoot International Musician Video and Film Festival in Wexford, Ireland. First off, that's a mouthful. And that's actually my hometown.
2: Oh, yeah yeah
0: who came up with the idea for entering the video into festivals it's not something you hear from bands quite often
2: no not at all so the guy who directed that video is a very good friend of the band his name is zane rarick he's a chicago filmmaker and you know he's a guy that we hang out with a lot he's he's a friend and so we when we uh first recorded the record uh, he got a hold of that song and was thinking like he kind of came up with that idea and he thought it'd be funny to kind of play off that doomsday devices as like that, you know, 1950s sort of red scare, you know, nuclear scare kind of thing. Uh, so he really came up with that. And then because he's a filmmaker, uh, you know, he showed us the video, we loved it, we thought it was hilarious. And then he was like, Hey, you know, do you mind if I enter this video in some some film festival stuff? And we were like, nah, of course, man you know, not thinking that anybody would ever care about a video from some Chicago metal band. Uh, and then it started winning awards. So I'd love to take credit for that. Uh, I don't do anything in that video besides, you know, play my guitar and look like a doofus. Uh, that was all Zane Rarick hats off to him. So. Oh man,
0: It's going to be a hard act to follow though. Are you going to continue going down the route then of entering your music videos into festivals?
2: I, I would assume so, assuming that we, you know, the next one we make, I don't know what it's going to look like, but if it's if it's funny, if it's cool, then I don't see why not. Right. I mean, it's a great way to get our music out there and get some recognition for the, the video guys. So why not? Right. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. Exactly. And how has the reaction been from fans and listeners then since you released the the video and the album?
2: Uh, weirdly positive. So, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, yeah, it, so, it, uh, you know, it feels kind of strange, right, because Fast Lane Living was a record that we had been working on for a really long time. You know, we had started writing these songs quite a while ago, and they'd been in our live set for a while. And then we actually recorded the album all the way back in 2019. We, we got into the studio at Andy Lagos and recorded it. And then we, we did that video in, I think, in 2020, like the weekend before the United States shut down with the COVID stuff like whatever that Saturday was, that's when we filmed the video. And so it was like, we had all this stuff ready to go. We were planning a release. And then, you know, as you know, the world kind of shut down. So then after that, once things started to open, our drummer actually, uh, he broke his leg. So that was another couple months where we couldn't really rehearse or play shows or anything. You can't drum with one leg. You can do it one arm, right? But not yeah. one leg. <laughs> uh, and so so like by the time then that we actually got to release the record and now that, you know, people are finally starting to hear it and see it, uh, it it's really cool to, to have people excited about it and, and want to talk about it and stuff. Um, but at the same time, it's kind of strange because it's kind of like, Oh yeah, you know, I've been working on this for so long. I, you know, it, it's, but it, it's really, it's really cool. That's the best way I can describe it.
0: Yeah. And, Geez, during that time then with the lockdowns and everything and then the drummer breaking his leg, it must have been a tough time for the band. How did you guys push through and, you know, stay together and stay positive?
2: I mean, it was, you know, it was tough because we didn't we didn't really get to rehearse very much. And every, you know, couple of weeks or a couple of months, we'd kind of meet up and we'd drop off the, you know, we rent a rehearsal space. So we'd kind of get together, but we were all masked up, you know, staying our social distance, six feet apart, whatever. Uh, and, and it was definitely like we, you know, it was tough. And so we, but we kind of made the decision, like, look, we, we want to do this. We love what we do. We're going to ride it out, you know, whatever it looks like. That's what it's going to be. So, but, it uh, you know, and then we, you saw lots of bands doing like Zoom covers and stuff. And we didn't really want to do any of that, but it, it, it was tough.
0: Yeah, I'd say so. I'd say so. The first gig you guys played then after all that must have been like a massive celebration was it
2: it was great so it was uh the first gig finally we played after the COVID, and our drummer's leg was uh uh forever death fest which is a metal festival here in chicago and we we got invited to play on it and i was thinking about it like i was as we were rehearsing leading up to that i it had been about two years since we last played a show. And I was thinking like, this is the longest I've ever gone without performing since I was, you know, 13 or something. Um, But it was, it it was, it felt so good to finally get up there and, you know, and and do it again. And so afterwards it was like, all right, we're back. We want to get back into this. You know, it was a lot of fun.
0: You know, from all the music you guys have created, if there's listeners listening right now who haven't, heard of you guys what would you say is your defining work you know what is it where's a good place for them to jump
2: in definitely our spotify i would say this this new record fast lane living that's if you want a taste of what we're all about that's that's it um you know we had recorded some demos and some earlier stuff way back when but this fast lane living record that's what speed freak is all about for sure and that's available on our spotify our Bandcamp, everywhere
0: Cool, cool. At this stage, I usually like to dive into my guests history when it comes to music to give the listeners a sense of where you come from. So if you can, can you remember your earliest musical memory?
2: Man, uh, you know, I've I don't have a specific memory per se, but I grew up, you know, in a house where music was always playing. My mom, uh, she's a great lady. She you know she loves music and so when i think about my childhood i think about like in the background it was always the beatles or the rolling stones or like old motown or Janice steven whatever you know we always had music playing at home and so it was just always like a something that was part of my life and so as soon as i got old enough you know i, I obviously once i figured out i couldn't sing worth a <laughs> worth the damn uh i obviously i wanted to start playing instruments and then uh the first time I heard ACDC was really like when it kind of clicked for me. I, you know, you hear heard Highway to Hell, and I was like, not, I couldn't have been any older than you know nine or ten or something. Um, but I remember thinking like, this is the coolest, <laughs> you know, this is awesome. Like, this yeah. is what it's all about. And then pretty much since then, I've been on the uh, the rock and roll path. But that's kind of how where where it all started. It was just you know my mom singing and having the radio on at home, and you know. It's, there
0: yeah and were your parents very supportive then when you decided to start playing guitar and you wanted to you know further it
2: oh god no (laughs) really (laughs) i mean you know they they liked that i uh they were always supportive of me playing like I, i played in the orchestra at school and they uh they bought me my first guitar after i begged and begged and begged and begged but um it was always like okay it's great that you like music but you know you, when are you going to go to college you why don't you be a doctor that sort of thing um but you know now as i'm older and, and you know my life is not i didn't wind up in jail or dead or anything i don't know you know I, they're pretty supportive of it now they think it's cool um i you know i i talk to a lot of people i know a lot of people who had bad upbringings and i didn't my parents were great so I really only have nice things to say about him
0: good good now I always say your teenage years are very important when it comes to music you know you find out what music really appeals to you and through music you almost find your community so as a teenager what music were you exposed to by your peers and how do you think it molded you into the musician you are today
2: so yeah when I got into high school when I was a teenager, I, was, I had already been pretty hard into like ACDC and Kiss and Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath and, you know, the, the bands that all the, the rock guys like. Um, and in my high school, I was one of those kids that, you know, I grew my hair out and I wore black T-shirts and I was definitely trying to look as hard as I could like some kind of rock star. Uh, and so, you know, the other people who were like that in high school, uh, we kind of found each other. Tom, our singer, I actually met him in high school. He was another one of those kids. And so once I got into high school, I started to get into, you know, maybe a little bit more of the heavier metal stuff. Uh, I really fell in love with Motorhead in high school, obviously Metallica. Maybe Metallica would have been before high school. but um, And then also as I got a little older, you know, I really started to get a a greater appreciation for a lot of blues players. Um, And it started to become more about like, oh, it's like, you know, it's not the heaviest music you can find, but you start really kind of appreciating. Yeah, some some of the more intricate stuff. Um, but my, yeah, I mean, so, to answer your question, like the, the music that I found in high school, it was really, it was more of a continuation of the stuff I was already into. Like I said, it was a lot of heavier metal and then it really got me into appreciating like really good guitar playing. Um, and I, in high school, I was also playing in our school orchestra. So at the same time that I was like, know ditching class and trying to meet girls and stuff (laughs) I was also learning a lot about musical theory and about classic composers and so it really I didn't realize it at the time but I that really has had an effect on me as I gotten older as well
0: yeah yeah I find the blues thing interesting now because I find that lots of teenagers they will pick up a guitar and they'll listen to the heavier stuff you know and they just want to trash about on the guitar but I notice when You see someone that wants to be serious about the guitar. They kind of get into blues. Like you were saying, it's a lot more intricate playing and all. But those old blues guys, I don't think there's ever going to be a guitar player on their level.
2: No. And so, you know, like I said, I live in Chicago and downtown. I work in downtown Chicago, you know, all the skyscrapers and stuff. And every day when I get off the train uh, on State Street, there's a giant 40-story mural, you know, and it's um, it's Buddy Guy, right, playing the electric guitar. And so to be in Chicago, like, you know, not that there's a huge blues scene anymore, but there's a lot of blues history here. and You got guys, like, obviously, you got Muddy Waters and Buddy Guy and, you know, Robert Johnson had come up here. And so there's, it's just such a part of the, you know, cultural fabric, if you will. But you're right, like, there's... The stuff that those blues guys did, even now, even when you think about, you know, you look at these modern, like, shred guitar players or whatever, and you go back and you look at some of the stuff these blues guys were doing 100 years ago, 50 years ago, whatever, it it holds up, man. Like, you're right. They're incredible players.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And, you know, what's, speaking of Chicago, what's the local music scene like? I take there's obviously lots of competition and it's very vibrant at the moment.
2: Yeah. Uh, I'm very, very fortunate to, to live here and be a part of this. There's a lot of great music in Chicago. There always has been. And, you know, we have like Lollapalooza is here every year. And that's not really my scene, but there's a lot of festivals that come here. And every band that goes on tour, Chicago is what the third biggest city in the country. So everybody stops here. So there's always shows happening. There's always stuff going on. And then there's lots of great local venues as well you know that'll put on shows And so it's a it's really a great scene to be a part of um you know I, when i was younger we you know you don't really view it as a competition anymore as you get older more like a collaboration like we're all you know everybody you kind of know each other we're all friends and stuff um but it, it's really cool to be a part of and it's nice that you know any night of the week i can go out and find a bar that there's a band playing and check it out it's really a great you know, it's, it's a great place to be.
0: Yeah, sounds like heaven for a music lover. And as a concert goer then, what concerts would you say have made you?
2: When I was in, I was maybe a sophomore in high school and I went to see Motley Crue uh, with with a friend of mine. <laughs> and, you know, motley I like Motley Crue. They're cool, whatever. But that was the first time I'd really seen a show that had You know, pyrotechnics and strippers and explosions (laughs) and like all of this crazy stuff. And that was really like, you know, when I was first exposed to kind of like the theatrical aspect of it. Uh, So I think about that a lot. Um, And then another earlier concert, I saw Kiss and Aerosmith on tour together. And, I, you know, that was a lot of fun. Uh, And so this is all what I would have been around, you know, it's pretty young like maybe between 12 and 15 or something a lot of those bigger shows were coming through but Ozfest. we used to go to Ozfest every year when that had come through town my buddies and i and that hasn't happened in a long time but i always loved going to concerts i mean it's always cool to see bands play you know
0: it's funny you mention uh, Motley Crue and Kiss. I've seen Kiss myself back in 2008 and I'm seeing Motley Crue for the first time this summer. I think it's the first time they're actually coming to Ireland. But Aerosmith will always be one that, you know, the band that got away, you know, I think they played back in 2015 and unfortunately I missed the show and I I don't uh, think I'll ever get a chance to see them now again, you know. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's and that's the other like the it's tough to as you all your heroes are getting older now, right? And so yeah. it's it's hard. Yeah, the Aerosmith show, this would have been 2001 maybe. And I remember I almost didn't get to go because that the concert was supposed to be in the summer, and for whatever the reason, it got rescheduled. So they didn't come through Chicago until later in the fall. And I remember it was freezing cold and raining. And I, you know, my best friend and I went, I think his dad drove us, but. Aerosmith was put on a great show. I mean, they were a lot of fun. Kiss is great, too, though. Uh, you know, you say what you want about Kiss. They're goofy. It's a gimmick. Sure. But but they put on a fun show. It's supposed to be fun, you know?
0: Yeah, exactly. They're uh, they're masters of their craft, you know, and you won't be bored at the show. That's for sure. Absolutely. And rewind to 2006. Then you and Tom formed a band. Personally, yes. what has the journey been like for you from that point up to now?
2: Well, when Tom and I formed the band, you know, it, it was like 90% so we could tell girls that we were in a band, right? was, right. you know, <laughs> as I'm sure most high school bands are. That's a, a pretty big factor. in it. <laughs> yeah. um, and so, you know, there was points in time where we didn't really care about playing. We just liked talking about being in a band. But I'd say as we you know, it, it may it stayed this constant thing in our lives. And so as you get older, you really appreciate that it's there and now it's because it's it's not like a hobby on the side it's really a passion it's what we love to do right and it's it makes everything else tolerable i can go to work you know at any day job right and as long as i know that it's a day job that i have this other thing going on then it's okay so it's really it's something that i'm i'm really thankful for to be able to do this
0: yeah and uh i have to ask then if you didn't start the band what do you think your outlet would be now
2: Oh, gosh, no idea. I mean, I, uh, maybe I'd be playing in a different band. You know, I'd, I'm sure I'd still be playing. I don't think you ever give up loving music. Um, for a brief period of time, uh, I was in a bluegrass band with some friends, and that was fun, but it wasn't quite the same as being in Speed Freak. Um, you know, I just I needed that. So if it wasn't this band, it would probably be a different band. I, I, I can't ever imagine not doing it.
0: I see. And, um, for any listeners then that haven't caught one of your shows specifically, what can they expect?
2: We try and make our live shows a visceral experience, right? Like we, you know, we really try to have fun and I don't mean that like, you know, we obviously we play, but, but we want to make sure everybody's having a good time. I mean, that's the point. It's rock and roll. It's supposed to be fun. You don't want to leave a show feeling depressed or (laughs) you know what I mean? Like it's, our mindset is always like, we're going to have a party on the stage and everybody's invited. Like we, you know, we really, we really enjoy what we do. And so if there's something that anybody's ever, whoever sees us, you know, it takes away, I want them to think like, look, even if this band isn't my style or my favorite band or whatever, those guys definitely have a good time and they're good at what they do. So that's kind of the, you know, the message we want to send out
0: yeah yeah and the music is wanting, but how do you guys perfect your stage show? You know how do you keep on top of your game to to give a good stage show I suppose your stage presence and everything
2: it's so our you know the there's some videos floating around, I'm sure of like our first gigs back in high school, and you know we were terrified standing behind our microphones and you know wide eyed and I think it's it's something you just get comfortable with and you eventually kind of figure out like look, you're there to have a good time. It's okay to, to be loose, you know, and kind of be yourself. And so now when we rehearse our live set, you know, we'll always kind of map out what we're going to play, but we've been playing together long enough now that it really, it's comfortable. So, you know, we'll say like, look, you know, at this show, make sure you mention this band we're going to open for or so-and-so's birthday or like, thanks to so-and-so for having us or whatever. But, uh, you know, we never... It, it's just it's really a comfort thing um and if it looks natural it's because it is natural like you can always tell the bands that try really hard you know it's like to to sell you on the fact that it's a performance but uh we try and just just be cool have a good time like i said you know it's, it's rock and roll right yeah
0: exactly it's funny i've actually uh i've heard of bands that will videotape their rehearsals and watch it back over and over again like it's some sort of football game they're trying to <laughs> to pick out problems with and everything and then work on those.
2: We've talked about doing that, but it's because we're all sports fans. And I, I think you know maybe once or twice we've tried to like record our rehearsals, but then you get so self-conscious being recorded. So we start <laughs> making faces at each other and goofing off and <laughs> you know it's really just you gotta have you gotta be comfortable and it takes practice. And I think you need to be comfortable with the music that you're playing right like you need to know that it's okay you know you can miss a note or miss a chord or start a song at the wrong time but have enough confidence in yourself and your fellow musicians that you can kind of jump back into it and i think then with comfort comes that freedom to express yourself
0: yeah yeah, exactly. Exactly. You guys have played some legendary venues as well. Is there one gig that maybe sticks out as the perfect gig that you like to revisit in your mind?
2: So right before the pandemic happened, this would have been January 2020, we got to play at the Metro, which is just a legendary Chicago venue. You know, I, every band, Metallica actually just played at the Metro. They had a secret show here a couple of years ago. And it's like a, I don't know if it's a thousand person or 1500 person, you know, kind of theater place. Um, But it it was really, really, really cool. Finally, after all these years of being in the band to A, see your name on the marquee at the Metro. And then when we walked out on that stage, you know, for the first time in a very, very long time, I got butterflies. I really got nervous. Uh, And that was really a special show. And at the time, you know, I nobody had any idea what was coming. So if you had told me like that was the last time we were going to be on stage for 700 days or something, you know, I would have kind of thought you were you were nuts, Um, but that was really a special night for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it. And I always flip that around now, not to get too negative, but is there a gig, maybe one of your early gigs you would say is the worst gig experience you've had? And how did you deal with it? (laughs)
2: <laughs> oh yeah. I mean we've had a you know we've had our fair share of bad gigs. Uh the one <laughs> I mean I've had strings break on stage. I've had uh we've had I've fallen over on stage. Um, you know unfortunately there's been times where maybe we were a bit overserved before we played and got a little sloppy. Um there's there's two two of them that really bad ones that come to mind. The first one we were playing At this bar in Chicago, we were opening for a band that was on tour from Canada. They were called the Motor League, and we were—I think maybe my—the first or second song, I had had set a a drink uh, on top of my amplifier, and I spilled. I don't know if I spilled it or jumped or what happened, but anyway, the drink poured at the amp. The amp, you know, frizzled out, and so all of a sudden it's just off. And so that was, you know, and then you're like a deer in headlights. That's really scary. And so credit to the guy from the Motor League, um, you know, this this headlining band, they actually, you know, he's like, hang on, hang on, show's not over. And he ran out to their van and he brought his amp, you know, brought it in, brought it up on stage and got me set up. That was one of the coolest things I've ever experienced so I could finish the gig. Um, And then uh, the other thing. I always think about, like, you play that first song at a show, right? And. When the first song is over, if the audience is into it, you you kind of exhale. You think like, okay, you know, this is going to be all right. We can do this, whatever. And I remember we were playing a show in a, a little town called Antioch, Illinois, which is way up on the border between Illinois and Wisconsin, in the in the Midwest, uh, not a big city or anything. And we were playing this gig, and I, you know, to uh, to some sports bar, and we we get done with the first song, and everybody just stares at us like we had, you know like we were mutants or something that you could hear a pit drop. And so that, that was just excruciating because you're up there and you just know that like, nobody cares about what you're doing. You know, uh, that was pretty bad. And I think something else weird happened to that show. I want to say like, for whatever the reason, either I spilled something on my jeans or I, or I forgot to, I don't know what the deal was, but I was, I had to play the show in like boxer shorts or or basketball shorts or something. Because I something happened, I either forgot or like spilled something on my pants. Uh, so I remember standing up there in my shorts like an idiot. You know, that that stick sticks out of my mind. It's just an excruciatingly bad, awful, awful performance.
0: Maybe that could have been why they were staring at you.
2: <laughs> could have been. Could have been. Yeah. And and I want to say it was like a, a, for some reason. It, I want to say it was like a Sunday, and it was earlier in the day. Like, it just everything about it just felt weird. Um, And I think we, you know, we we finished our set and we got the hell out of there as fast as we possibly could.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. And how do you guys approach finding gigs and touring nowadays?
2: So we, uh, you know, back, way back when we'd play anywhere, anywhere that asked us. Um, Now we're a little bit more strategic about it. Uh, Our drummer owns a venue in chicago he manages live wire lounge and so he knows a lot of people in the industry and so if there's a you know a show that comes up that we think we'd be a fun fit for we'll try and jump on it or if we want to if we feel like we want to play a show or we haven't played in a while we'll do that and then as far as touring goes um we haven't done any like extensive touring uh we've done some kind of local touring run stuff um but later on this summer we're actually going to be going on the road with Texas hippie coalition. We're going to Seattle and back with them for a couple of weeks. And that's going to be our, you know, kind of our, our first, it's the first time we've ever gone out that far. Uh, And then I had to swim back. So we're pretty excited, but uh, (laughs) yeah, most of it's, you know, unless you're you're fortunate enough to be working with a great agent or something, it's a lot of word of mouth, a lot of underground, you know, messaging people on Facebook leg work, work to try and set gigs up. So yeah, that's kind of how we do it.
0: Yeah, and how do you guys go about getting your music out there? Then I know it's uh it can be a nightmare for bands when it comes to social media and stuff.
2: Yeah, I mean social. You know, we're we're working with pavement right now, which is great. Um, but besides that, it's always just been social media, and it's tough because, you know, I'm, we're all you know dudes in our thirties, so none of us are like big social media influencers, so to speak. So it's tough to, like, get back on Facebook and and remember to share and like and all that stuff. Um, And so that's why we just try and play as much as we can, because, you know, somebody sends you a link to a band to listen to. Maybe you listen to it. But if you're at a bar, if you're out and you see a really cool band playing, that's going to stick with you a lot more. So
0: exactly. Exactly. And when you guys are playing gigs, then what kind of backstage antics do you get up to? If you can (laughs) tell us.
2: I mean, you know, we like to have a couple of drinks, get a little loose before we play. Um, we have this thing, you know, we always like, uh, we do a little like kind of huddle chant thing. Like we're a, you know, like we're a football team, put our hands in the middle, you know, champions on three. We don't say champions, but we we do some kind of stuff like that. Um, but, you know, usually like. We get to a show and we'll, we'll load our gear in and sound check or whatever. But we, what we always try and do then is like go and meet the other dudes in the other bands, right? Because we, you know, those guys, they know what it's all about. We're, you know, we're, they're usually, they've become some of our closest friends. It's how you meet people and make contacts. And then we usually just like to chill and, and meet people and have a good time. Um, so nothing super crazy backstage. Uh, on stage, we'll, uh, <laughs> You know, we, we're buddies. We like to mess with each other. So the bass player and I, we're like, you'll always see us. We try and make faces at each other and, you know, stupid stuff like that. But uh no real crazy pranks.
0: Right, right. And, you know, say Saturday night you play the most epic gig you've played. You know, sold out venue. Everything goes perfect. You get home, you get up Sunday morning. It's back to reality. How do you deal with that?
2: Well, I'm sure I'll take a couple aspirin for the hangover. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And then if it's Sunday morning, I'm putting on football or, you know, or F1 if it's the season. Uh, But no, it's tough. Um, It's, it's funny that you bring that up because it is, it's weird to come down from that sometimes. And so I, you know, I definitely have to center myself and I definitely have to remember, like when I come home, you know, I, there's responsibilities. I still have to go to work on Monday. I still have other things to do. You know, I still got to, go grocery shopping or, or, you know, take the trash out. I mean, it's, it's humbling, right? Like that, to get back into the routine. But fortunately, you know, I have a... Uh, there's nothing super crazy going on, so I'm usually able to kind of take some time and decompress. Uh, truthfully, I think it's harder for me, like in the day before or the day of a gig than it is the day after. Like I'm always... Yeah, it's, you know, you get like those pre-show or like if you're or if you're a football player or something you get kind of like the pre-match like jitters you know it's you get that kind of nervous adrenaline and so that's tough for me like that because i'm excited right and so once it's over then i can kind of exhale and you
0: know relax but i think you'd be worried though if you didn't get that before a gig
2: Oh, totally. Those nerves are a good thing. Keeps you sharp. Yeah. Once you start taking it for granted, that's when you know you're going to have a terrible gig, right? (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And how do you guys measure success then?
2: Uh, I don't know that we, you know, we never, we've never said like, oh my gosh, we got to, you know, sell this many tickets or this many t-shirts, or we got to get this many streams on Spotify. I think we, you know, We just enjoy what we do right and so we're we try and get appreciative of everything that happens like i never we've never gotten a gig and then been pissed because it wasn't a bigger gig or because more people weren't there you know we're we're pretty pretty humble as far as that kind of stuff goes i mean obviously we have goals right like we'd like to play more shows and get out there but it's it's more so about getting to do it than it is about any you know end game or tangible thing at the end
0: yeah Yeah. And in, say, 30, 40 years time, when you look back, what do you want your legacy to be when it comes to music?
2: So, I mean, I I would like to believe that I really gave it everything I could. Right. When I was a kid or a teenager, you know, I always dreamed about being a rock star. And so I don't ever want to get to the end of my days and then regret not trying harder. You know, yeah, yeah, um, that is one. The other thing, like my deep down musical dream, would be to someday perform at the Super Bowl halftime show. I think that would just be, you know, the coolest thing in the world. And I don't care if I'm a backup musician to some pop star who's probably not even born yet, I think that would just be <laughs> a lot of fun, right? <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, it actually would. That's a good one. <laughs> and before we dive into the last couple of questions then what are your future plans is there are you working on new music is there tours we are gigs
2: coming up yeah so we like i said we have that the tour booked with texas hippie coalition uh later this summer i think before then we're going to be doing a smaller tour in the kind of the midwestern united states we're going to try and put that together in the next couple months um and then in the meantime we are hard at work on new music we you know since the record's been out we already have we have songs we were working on that weren't quite ready when we recorded it we have some a lot of stuff that's been written since then so i think you know you could be on the lookout for another record from us in the not too distant future for sure
0: oh sounds great sounds great and what can people expect from the new record then that's different from the last
2: uh well hopefully it won't take 3 years to get out you know <laughs> there won't be a pandemic happening um <laughs> no but yeah we're gonna go smooth jazz smooth jazz all the way now no more heavy metal now it's (laughs) gonna be a it's it's definitely gonna be a speed freak record i don't think anybody's gonna hear it and be shocked uh any kind of massive you know genre change or anything like that
0: right right and uh we'll dive into the last couple of questions so if you could see any performer from history in concert for one night only who would it be
2: Jimi hendrix no question you know
0: yeah. I love the quickness of the response there. You've obviously talked about <laughs> yeah. it before.
2: Absolutely. I mean, it's Jimi Hendrix, you know, yeah. it's, it's special. I, and, and to think like he's what, he was only 27 when he died. Right. He only played yeah, what a couple dozen gigs. Like he, you know, it's like when you look back in the Beatles, they were only a thing, so to speak for a few years. And so, it, and to think like the impact that Jimi Hendrix has had, like on the, world on not just the music world like you got to think there must have been something it must have been really special so if I could choose any performer to see or go back in time to go to any concert it'd have to be Jimi Hendrix
0: yeah I completely understand and it's weird about like you're saying the Beatles and everything it's weird about all those guys back then who you know Jim Morrison as well and Janis Joplin like they were as you were saying they were only famous for like two maybe three years they died and Like 60 years later, they're still massively famous, you know? Right. That's crazy. Legendary. (laughs) (laughs) And um, if you had to spend 24 hours locked inside a room with any musician from history, then who would it be?
2: Ooh, that's a good question. Since I already said Jimi Hendrix, I'll pick somebody else. Uh, I can imagine 24 hours Jimi Hendrix would be pretty crazy. Mm. You know, he'd probably, we'd probably do acid or something. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Now, if I could spend that time with any musician, um, oh gosh, maybe Paul McCartney only because, oh, you know what? I'll stop it. I'm going to say Elton John because Elton John is such a tremendous songwriter. You know, and, and even if like the kind of music that I play, right? Like Elton John's not writing heavy metal songs. He's a piano ballad guy, but. I would just love to know how great songwriters like that, you know, how they get inspired, how they approach songwriting. I mean, instead of like when Speed Freak writes music, we write a couple of riffs and we figure out, you know, the order they go in or we'll write a riff around a vocal melody or something. But just to to be able to do it at that level, that consistently, like it's really a gift. And so I'd love to be in the presence of somebody like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, imagine being them and being like, "Okay, I'm going to sit down now, and I'm going to write like a number one hit." And you actually do yeah, it. Just being right? able to pinpoint what it needs, you know.
2: <laughs> or like Zally Parton wrote uh Jolene, and she wrote that other, you know whatever the other song is in in like the same night. Yeah. I mean, how is that even possible? You know.
0: <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs>
2: So maybe, you know what, maybe I'll change my answer. I feel like Dolly Parton would be a great person to hang out with for 24 hours. She's the best. Yeah, yeah. Who who doesn't love Dolly Parton? Exactly,
0: exactly. She'd have some crazy stories as well, I'd say. I bet. Yeah. (laughs) And the final one. So what song would appear on the soundtrack to your life?
2: Ooh. So if, you know, man, that's a great question. I if I had to pick a song like to be played at my funeral, I would probably pick something like, you know, little wing by Jimi Hendrix or something simple, but pretty that's not, you know, yeah, maybe, maybe little wing by Jimi Hendrix. Um, Gosh, that's a great question.
0: (laughs) It's a tough one. That's
2: why you keep it to the end. (laughs) Maybe uh, my way by Frank Sinatra. I mean, something like, you know something that that sums up what I'd like my life to be about
0: I yeah. think yeah and
2: that's a t- maybe maybe it's a song I haven't written yet
0: that's a good answer that is a good answer <laughs> you'll find it at some stage <laughs> that's right right listen kevin it's been an absolute pleasure now I've really enjoyed getting insight into your music thanks a million
2: Brian, thanks for making the time i appreciate it